Welcome to the October edition of The Feast. I'm Laura Carlson. This month, we're bringing you another story about the past, but also the future, of the craft brewing scene in the state once known as the birthplace of Prohibition, Maine. Now, if you've listened to our episode from August, you'll remember the great story behind Heather Sanborn and Rising Tide Brewery in Portland. Heather has been a longtime advocate for the craft brewing industry in the state, and she's helped to reshape legislation to help other, smaller breweries open their doors. Today, we're bringing you a story about one of those breweries, Odd Alewives Farm Brewery, which is less than a year old and located in the small town of Waldeboro, just off Route 1 on Maine's coast. Odd Alewives opened in 2018. Now, owners John and Sarah McNeil, along with their trusty brewery cat Rocket, had purchased 22 acres of what used to be an alpaca farm with the hopes of turning the garden and buildings into an honest-to-goodness farm-to-cask brewery. Working with old llama enclosures, not to mention 19th-century barn buildings and outhouses, they have spent the last year turning it into one of Maine's newest craft breweries. Co-owner John comes from a bit of a brewing background. He's worked in a number of breweries all over the East Coast, while his wife and business partner, Sarah, is a literal Renaissance woman. Having taught art and art history at the college level, she is now head gardener and brewery supplier for Odd Alewives. Her hops, lilacs, pumpkins, maple syrup, all harvested or foraged on their property frequently pop up as key ingredients in their seasonal brews. Now, in our previous episode on Rising Tide, we explored a little of Maine's interesting history and relationship with beer. Once considered the birthplace of Prohibition, the state now has a booming craft beer industry, home to over 100 different craft breweries, No mean feat when you consider that Maine's population is only slightly more than that of Rhode Island. But Maine ranks fifth in the U.S. as far as amount of breweries per capita. So, as far as beer tourism goes, Maine is the place to be. And Sarah and John's business is a great example of how Maine's changing beer and business laws have let new blood into the brewing game. These new laws mean that Sarah and John don't have to worry about rivaling the supply of bigger breweries. They also don't have to worry about becoming restaurateurs. Old beer laws, for example, found throughout the U.S., often required breweries to serve food, more or less forcing would-be craft brewers to become chefs as well. But those laws, only in the last few years, have finally been lifted, at least in Maine. Now Sarah and John can focus on what they do best, making great beer. These changes to Maine's brewery laws may be only very recent history, but Sarah and John's business harkens back to an even older tradition of brewing, a tradition embedded in their very name. Now, if you know your ichthyology, you'll know that an alewife, as in odd alewife's brewery, is a common type of fish. It's actually kind of a herring, and it's one that's found throughout the waters of North America. But an even older use of the word alewife doesn't refer to fish at all. It actually, 
not surprisingly, refers to the women who were once heavily involved in Europe's beer trade. The term itself may date to as early as the 15th century. An alewife was literally a woman, usually a married one, who helped out in a tavern or public house. That is, a place known for brewing and serving beer. But the association between women and beer is far older, at least in the British Isles where the English term of alewife first popped up. It wasn't simply that they were the wives of brewers. They were the brewers themselves. And this tradition of women as brewers is far older than the 15th century. Evidence about women's pivotal role in the brewing of beer goes back to at least maybe the 5th century in Anglo-Saxon England. Back then, brewing beer was really a home affair, something done over your kitchen fire, and done usually and almost exclusively by women. Yes, monasteries were doing it too, but they often kept those brews to themselves. More often than not, it was women doing the job in villages and towns. The actual industry of beer, when beer started to become something that was bought and sold in pubs or taverns, now that came much later, around perhaps the same period the term alewife started to be used, around the 1400s, we think. Now, by this point, women were still involved in the emerging tavern life, but increasingly in a lesser role. Once formal brewing guilds and associations started to form, right around the same time, these societies often made sure to forbid women as members. Sure, women could keep brewing at home, and they would continue to do so into the 18th and even 19th centuries, but they were essentially closed off from making any money from their skills. Being a skilled alewife, a talent once prized, eventually became tied to immorality. It was a term most women didn't want to be associated with. Even in 14th century morality plays, alewives were portrayed as figures of scorn or ridicule. In one play, the character of Jesus saves a whole group of sinners from the perils of hell. All, of course, except the alewife. And even in the play, she herself admits she isn't worthy of salvation, saying, quote, Some time I was a taverner, a gentle gossip and a tapster, of wine and ale a trusty brewer, which woe hath me be wrought. Of cans I kept no true measure, my cups I sold at my pleasure, deceiving many a creature, though all my ale were not. Not exactly a flattering portrait of women in brewing. Now it's taken more than 500 years, but thankfully, with John and Sarah's help, the term alewife may finally be a term of respect once more. We joined them on a beautiful summer day, a few months back in their converted barn, to talk about the history and future of brewing in Maine, and their own journey to bringing back the glory of the alewife. My name is John McNeil, um, and we're on our property at 99 Old Route 1 here in Waldeboro, 
Maine uh, on an old farmstead uh, that's been here for a pretty long time. And right now we're talking inside our basically uh, mid-1800s barn where we have the tasting room and the brewery. And I'm Sarah, and I'm the other um, owner in Audiowise Farm Brewery. And and so, as you mentioned um, a little bit beforehand, you guys are, are brand new. Um, so when did you officially open your doors? Two, two months ago. It was May 3rd? Was yeah, it was about almost yeah. a little less than two months ago, but almost two months. So. Yeah. And then we had our grand opening party about at the beginning of June. Okay. So um, still relatively new, but people found us. We opened the doors and people found us. <laughs> if you brew it, they will. Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it, it worked. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's yeah. part of the culture these days, Absolutely. definitely. And, and in terms of the lead up to opening, what what was kind of the process? Were you guys already located here or did you purchase um, specifically for the brewery? We purchased the property specifically for the in mind for the brewery. Um, at we We're from Maine, but at the time we were living in Baltimore. We'd been living there for several years. Um, and I was working at a brewery just outside of downtown um, Baltimore, a little bit south of Baltimore. Um, and Sarah was teaching at a, a college there in Baltimore. Um, and when we first started talking about this idea of like, I really had worked for a lot of breweries over the years and I really wanted to be able to do my own thing. Um, so we started to talk more about the possibilities of that and then the possibility of kind of forming an alliance and doing it uh, together um, based on kind of our idea of the farm brewery uh, kind of concept. And like, certainly there are other ones um, that are out there at this point and it just seemed like a, a good model for us, for Sarah to bring in her talents with horticulture and and uh, my brewing background and try to do something together. So we purchased the property in like the f- October of 2016. Yeah. Yep. And then... John moved up in April of 2017, and he started um, construction and renovation of the of the space. I stayed in. I came up for the summer, and then stayed one more semester teaching, and came up and finished in December. So I've been up since December. He's been up a little over a year, year and a few more months. Um, and so it was just specifically we. We're looking at a lot of different properties and we wanted to figure out how we could combine forces um, and also be in a place that would support, you know, we live on the property as well, um, that we wanted to be in a community that would welcome what we're doing um, and allow us to be able to invite people. You know, it's it's not it's not just a, like a brewery to us. It's sort of a community space. We invite people to our home and we you know, have them go out to the fields and check out what we're growing. It's the first year of our of our farm. We spent last summer converting it. it was an alpaca farm previously. We're gonna yeah, and so it was all um, pastures and fen- electrical fencing, and there were like five different sections and like hundreds of fence posts that were three feet in the ground. So we reclaimed the field last summer and then planted it up around the same time we opened here. So it's been a really crazy spring. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine. Um, in terms of when you were transitioning from the alpaca farm, so what are you growing now? What are you transitioning to growing? Um, it's all stuff for beer making. So we have where we just put in five different kinds of hops. Um, and, you know, we won't get much for a few years, but it, it allows us this first year to decide what will do well here and what we want to expand on. 
Um, so we put in a hundred of those and then um, blackberries, raspberries, blueberries, um, strawberries, rhubarb, elderberries, and then lots and lots of herbs. Okay. Lots of herbs for everything from singing nettle to um, coriander, four different coriander, hyssop, um, lavender, we, lots of different stuff. And and you said a lot of this is going to be geared towards towards brewing, like some potential future ingredients in the yeah. in the brew. Yep, yeah, just yeah. it's all for beer. Because essentially, yeah. what we're um, you know kind of taking this whole project to to heart in terms of like the farm brewery where we're trying to those are the styles of beers that we're interested in. So a lot of that comes from you know Belgium and France, uh, that kind of history. We're not necessarily trying to be like a, a Belgian brewery, but we're really just trying to be a main farm brewery. Um, but that's kind of the, the roots and the history of comes from that area. So that's a really good, um, you know, jumping off point for us to look at that kind of history and some of those flav- flavors, the culture of that. That's really kind of what we're focusing on is trying to use as much uh, different ingredients um, as we can grow or things that we can forage off of the, the property. Like we did um, lilac beer uh, this year because we have a beautiful hedgerow 100 feet long of lilacs um and they're they're beautiful but they also don't last very long so and then um we just kind of had some conversations with some other friends and we we're like yeah let's try it so we did that and then in the spring sarah had also tapped our maple trees so we actually um in the spring we did a, a beer basically like a, a dark strong ale that we replaced all the water in the brewing process with just sap from our trees um, and that came out really well. It was very, very popular, and uh, it's already gone. <laughs> so, <laughs> and people are lamenting, and and uh, people are like already offering to like, we will give you the sap from our trees if you will make more. We have you know people involved in helping us as well. So our next door neighbor has um, bees, so he gave us honey from his hives, and so we made. Um, a, a beer with him. He came up and we made beer together. Yeah, and we actually invited him up and so the three of us were in there and we just brewed a batch of a beer together because he was interested in the process and uh, he's just been a very you know, gracious uh, neighbor, very welcoming to us since we've been here so it's a lot of fun to have someone right away that was like, hey, I have, I have this great honey, Like, can you do anything with it? And we're like, absolutely, let's, okay. let's do something. Yeah. So, and we actually just brewed a, um, a spruce tip beer from tips that we harvested on our property. Um, and then my dad just gave me 50 pounds of rhubarb. So that's the next, uh, another batch that's coming out as well. Oh my goodness. And, and you met, and John, you mentioned you have a horticulture background. Is that? Well, I, I, my teaching was not in that. I was an art professor, oh, <laughs> but, okay. but um, I also studied horticulture and it's something, a lot of my projects, my art projects have been garden based. Um, and I've worked in um, with communities and gardening as through work and volunteer for a while, and it's just something I, I love. I wanted to be more connected with land and more connected. Like we wanted to work together, so we we talk about what we want to grow and what we want to um, forage for because we have 22 acres here. So we feel like there's a lot of possibility, even like learning about living here and what's available and you know through seasons and changes it's very fun to be able to walk and see new things Maybe around for here a lot of walks through the woods just you know uh, just for fun um but also to like get to actually know your property and what's out there what's on it like what kind of trees and other 
you know, undergrowth plants and things yeah. like that. And, and me, it's like, I get all that information really from Sarah. Mm-hmm. She's the one that knows that Latin names start coming out toward, at me. And I'm like, oh, okay. And so she's constantly educating me about stuff that's out there. And then, you know, you can also learn from other people in the area too of things that you might have. Oh, wow. And so I see there's our, um, just behind me, because this is super helpful that I can see exactly what you have on the menu right now. Um, so I see that kind of farmhouse element that you have a Saison, a Grisette, obviously a farmhouse ale. Um, and would you say these are some of your core, core brews um, that you are wanting to have kind of on tap all the time? Or are these going to rotate out? Um, so we want to ideally have eight to 10 beers here. We're at six, yesterday we had seven, but then we sold the last of Buzz. So we have, and then we have two more coming out. So we'll be back to eight again soon. Um, and we'll be rotating through. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so you mentioned that you actually have worked in a whole bunch of, of breweries, mostly in Maryland, did you say? I've worked kind of up and down the East Coast. I, I started in, in Camden, Maine in the early 90s. Um, literally had just met some folks that had were working at this brewery and uh, became friends with them. And they were like, they said, you know, hey, you should come work with us because we need extra help. And I was like, well, I don't really know anything. And they were like, that's not a problem. We're just going to hand you some rubber pants and a scrubby pad and you're just going to clean everything. So uh, because, you know, essentially the sanitation um, is like, you know, I don't know, I'm a glorified janitor or something. It's always, you know, you have to clean everything directly before and after you use it. And so that's that part's critical. And I just learned from the ground up. So basically, if you get that part right, then they teach you a little bit more. So it was like, you know, more of like a, almost like an apprenticeship where you go in and you get the dirty job. Um, but then if you, you know, are, are willing to learn, um, you can pick things up as you go along. And then it just so happened, like, every time I would move and like keep going to school somewhere, I'd move and you know, lo and behold, the brewery would be opening up there. And once you've started working in one, you can kind of... Uh, helps get your foot in the door for other uh, breweries and of course at that time there weren't nearly as many as there are now so even at some point like I would you know the fact that I actually had experience was even more valuable because it wasn't nearly as many breweries I think back when I started um, maybe there were like five breweries in Maine and so now there's you know over a hundred so that's a lot more yes (laughs) and then so like I've I've brewed in uh, in Georgia and I've brewed in Maryland and I've brewed in Maine um, at a number of different kind of breweries uh, over the years oh wow and and Sarah did you start out as a beer drinker or a home brewer Uh, just a beer drinker beer lover Mm -hmm. Um, I mean we've been together 17 years and beer's been a big part of every major decision we've ever made in life together um it's it's not a bad reason right yeah not a bad underlying foundation yeah Yeah. no just i love beer yeah oh wonderful and so do you have um kind of go-to styles you mentioned that you really wanted to have that farmhouse element obviously you have a farmhouse ale here is there kind of a style that you both gravitate towards in your own personal preferences um not necessarily i mean there's just Beer culture is great. I mean, there's never been a better time to be into it. There's so many great styles, and there's so much innovation happening now. I think in the early years, we were just trying to emulate in the sense of, like, things that were from, you know, like England or Germany or Belgium, and we were really just trying to, can we even make something of that that caliber, that quality? So, like, beginning, it was really a lot of emulation is what was happening, and then it took time for people to start to you know, break those molds and start to get creative in the process. Um, but 
definitely in the in America now. Like there's tons of creativity in the brewing world. So I think more rather than focusing on a specific style, uh, you know, we just want to be part of that creativity, right? To help kind of push that forward and just have have fun with it and just experiment and see what you can come up with. And you know, occasionally we might make something and we'll be like, mm, nah, <laughs> you know, and you have to be okay with that and be like, yeah, I don't think. We won't serve this one, <laughs> but you know you have to. You know why not take the risk? Yeah. Um, that's part of what we're trying to do with the farmhouse style. So really, I enjoy almost all types of beer personally myself. I'm always willing to sample what's new and coming out, and yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, same. I I think I will be a lot to do with the weather for me. You know, in the moment, what what I'm kind of excited about will depend on what's happening outside the doors. Um, we try lots of different kinds of beer. I mean, I, I have no one favorite. I, and also, it's fun just to go to a place and try what's local, you know? So I think that also has a lot to do with the beers that we drink. If we're on vacation or we're he- heading out somewhere or um, even at work, we just we want to go to the local place and see what they have to offer and what kind of would make that one unique compared to the one down the road, you know? Yeah. yeah. I think that's probably what's most exciting for me in beer. The seasonality and the locality. Yeah. How things change. And and just what people are willing to um, experiment with a little bit. And is it just the two of yourselves on the team in terms of brewing and and staffing the the tasting rooms and things? We have um, one part-time person that works for us now in the tasting room. But other than that, it's just the two of us that do everything in the brewery and on the farm. So... It's, it's it, you know, a seven-day-a-week job, but it's a labor of love. We really like it, so we don't we don't mind doing the work. That part is, you know, there's a lot of satisfaction in what we do. Mm-hmm. So because at the end, we get to make a space and um, a quality product that we get to share with people, and you actually get to meet people that come in your door, and you get to meet new people from your community or from other places that are coming through to visit. So um, there's a lot of reward there. Like, if you can come out at the end of the day and there's like, you know, a bunch of people in the tasting room or a bunch of people at the picnic tables and they're just like laughing, having a good time with their friends and their family and enjoying something that you worked really hard on. Like that's the reward. Uh, Yeah. Feels good. And we also, it's just, we, so we farm as much as we can and then buy from farmers what we can. Um, We brew it, we self-distribute as well. Um, So we have a lot of control over the entire process of it. Um, and that I'm really proud of, too, because we know when it gets out to wherever it goes that it's, you know, a good fit and that it's also, like, been taken care of the whole time mm-hmm. um, and that it will be fresh and delicious, <laughs> you know, when, they, when it's poured somewhere else as well. So, yeah, we do it all. We make our tap handles. We do the signs. We do, we pretty much do it. We built, John built the bar here. We pretty much do it all. Yeah. I mean, I I have to ask, actually, like, you know, in terms of converting this to a beautiful tap room, I mean, how how long, how arduous was that process? I mean, it was basically a full year of, um, you know, part of that is also that you have to, like, basically have your um, equipment built for you and so it takes time for that production so you while your equipment is being built um you know we did things like we had to put an all new power to the to the barn and then we had to tie into um the the sewer here on the property uh by the house so i did a lot of 
trench digging for Ooh. quite a while. That was, I, I mean, and plus we had to drill a new well for the brewery, so there was a, another trench that was rather large. So I'm in no hurry to pick up a shovel again any time soon. Mm. Trying to, there was a addition onto the brewery which used to house some of the animals, and it was just dirt floor. And we, when we saw the building and looked at the space that we had to work with, we were able to kind of make sense of it just structurally of like where do we put the brewing equipment where should the tasting room be and you know the brewing equipment could you know because it was dirt floor there we could put in all the uh, the drainage and the plumbing and everything that had to be in that space and then we could just basically custom design the type of size system we were going to have and like how you know many tanks we have and everything just around that space and then um, we just really loved the old part of the, the barn here with all the hand-hewn beams. And you look up and there's like kids' initials and stuff carved into stuff. And that was that was the charming thing for us. So we felt like other people also would really just appreciate, um, you know, all the kind of the, the old wood and the beams and stuff in the barn. So like I think really it was just trying to work with that as much as we could to like let the barn be the barn. And then just try to not mess with it too much and do what you need to do, but try to keep as much of what was already here and already beautiful. Right. Yeah, because it gives it such a nice sense of place and a sense of history, right? Um, and I mean, the great thing is about barns is that they're big open spaces. Yeah. So it's perfect to put big brewing equipment in yeah. to a certain extent. I mean, you... it was just a year long of every. Like, the commute isn't bad, so it takes you a few seconds to walk across the, the yard. Uh, but it was really just head down every day. There was so much work to be done, and there were like lots of different things happening at the same time. So there was always something to be done, and it was uh, it was a cold winter too. And yeah. We were out here in the cold working, and um, so we're we're grateful to be done <laughs> done with that part. Hopefully, it won't have to be that cold this winter. Um, we have a nice cozy stove now in right, here. Yeah. Um, but also the renovations were fun because we found artifacts in here. So we we found a pistol up Whoa, in there. Uh, yeah, we found a rusted pistol um, stuffed in some hay. Um, we found on the same day a little picture of a woman hugging a fake pink poodle. Oh, that's wild. <laughs> we, oh. we found... Um, a penny from the Netherlands, I think from the 50s, mm -hmm. a, 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 a lithograph of the signing of the declaration. Um, just very strange, you know, an old spoon, a jawbone, stuff like that. So we've had, we have our treasures that sort of came out when we were removing boards here and there. And then, like John said, like signet, like carvings in the wood. And I was really hoping for, you know, a bunch of gold hitting yeah. the wall. Some, but, you know, oh well. <laughs> it still might be out there, right? Yeah. Like, you know, yes. I just got to keep paying attention as we do our renovations and stuff. Yeah. Like someone's hidden treasure somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Somewhere. You got 22 acres. You never know. Yeah. You never right? know. That's right. <laughs> um, I mean, in terms of... It sounds like the community around you has been fantastically welcoming and excited about having a, a farm brewery. Um how about other kind of craft breweries throughout Maine? Like, how, what has the reception been like? Um, kind Very of Very positive. Yeah. yeah, people, even just the first day we opened, just soft opening, open the doors, breweries started coming in, saying hi, bringing beer, checking in. Um, we get all, even yesterday, we had a number of customers that were referred from other places. Yeah, we feel the love. It's been really good. It's been very positive. There's always been a lot of camaraderie in brewing culture ever since I started. Um, and, I'm, and I think it's probably one of the reasons why I'm still involved. Um, it's just a really 
welcoming, friendly culture. Um, and everyone's always really supportive and helps you solve problems. And, you know, just also is supportive in general with what you want to do. And we've always kind of seemed to help each other however we can. And if, you know, I promote their business, it just helps my business too. And it just, it's all a win-win of like, we all share these customers. And again, beer tourism is such a big thing where people go out and they want to go, they want to know other breweries in the area. So we have the maps and we we're like, here, you should go to Oxbow. You should go to Lake St. George. You should go to the poor farm's going to be opening. Um, so, you know, we're happy to pass them on because like they're excited to have that journey, you know, and like we support that and in in turn it supports us. I I should mention, of course, that you are on the main beer trail. Um, and again, since that you're only two months or really a month old, very quick. Um, and has that been also on the part of like the main tourism board that they've been reaching out and saying, Hey, we want to promote craft brewing and get you guys on the map literally. Well, like a lot of that is the, the actually the, uh, the main brewers guild has become a really important organization, uh, over the years. It's, um, you know, started, you know, really with just a handful of breweries and they, they came together and like there was always a, a group of, of people working the breweries, even though like you're trying to run your own business and your brewery and, you know, that's that's hard enough. But people were always willing to, you know, dedicate their time and volunteer and get involved and try to push, um, you know, legislation and other type of laws. And then also just to have other networks of systems that allow us to do what we do so we can support each other. Um, you know, so you have like much larger breweries than us that are, you know, a part of that guild. So like my, my friend Kai, um, he's uh, like basically the vice president, I believe, of the guild at this time. Um, and he's been involved in the guild for a, a long time. Um, and they're, they're great. So they really, you know, that's the, the main trail map is one of the things that they do to really help promote all the breweries uh, in Maine. So like they're constantly trying to you know, find ways to improve what we're doing and to support what we're doing. And now they have um, basically like the New England Brewers Summit now annually. They just started a few years ago. I think maybe this year was like the third year. Um, but it's become a big event where like all the brewers from Maine come and also some from just the general in New England area, uh, maybe even some from Canada uh, to come down and just talk about um, sort of the state of the brewing union, if you will, and things that are happening with the laws. So, like for instance, Um, one of the reasons we're able to do the model that we're doing now is because of those changes that have happened. So previously the tasting room model was illegal. You would have had to either be, you know, a fairly sizable production brewery where you were going to make your money strictly on wholesale, or you were going to be what they call basically a brew pub, which means you have to be um, a full restaurant in addition to, to brewing your beer. So like, this model was illegal not just that many years ago which is like one of the reasons we came back to this idea and of being uh, to do this again because we're not restaurateurs um so you know we don't have to open a restaurant and then we liked the idea of being able to do something small and intimate have people come to us and like create a space and um, but be able to do that direct retail sale which allows us to do that um which otherwise that would be like very hard to do if you couldn't do that retail sale so like those that's just one thing that like the brewers guilds have been working on and again that changes from state to state and it's still kind of spreading across the country but that's one of the clear reasons why you see a huge uptick in american craft breweries just in the last few years alone it's like once the other states started to look at these kind of other business models and allowed people to 
you know, um, approach it in a different way, the new business model, and support that legally, um, all of a sudden, you know, really it just started to take off. Yeah, I can only imagine that one change in legislation that absolutely, if if you don't want to be restauranteurs, if you aren't the size of, well, a, a massive brewery, basically, right. um, if you can't give tastings, well, what can you do? <laughs> Yeah, and when we were looking at our business plan and our model for this, we sort of figured out what we want to stay small, actually. We don't want to grow into a big giant ever. We want, this again, is like our life, and lifestyle for us too. So we sort of figured out what is the biggest size system we want and got that and then kind of worked up and that, that would this space would support and this community could support. And again, we have no ambition to be huge. So like that would have been too overwhelming and not even interesting for us to want to try to go if that was the only option. Yeah, we did, you know, it's a we're focusing on, on a quality product that we want to make, but we also focus on our quality of life that we want um, yeah. f- while doing that. So I think that that's, you know, kind of how we approach it so we'd like to grow our business but like organically um, but always keep it you know somewhat small if anything like we could do you know expand some outbuildings and do more like cool ship or barrel aging program or you know expand the gardens and the farming that we do here and uh, you know other things like that so those are the directions that kind of we're thinking in as opposed to like scaling up and and putting out a package on the store shelf um, and that's just like a totally different market to kind of compete in and there's a lot there's like all these different models happening here like also at the summit a couple years ago we had basically um a couple uh senator and uh, and a representative there as well from the state and they were talking about like in maine like people usually associate lobstering you know with maine so like lobstering is about a 500 million dollar year industry in in the state of maine um but craft brewing now is about 400 million dollar a year again like things like the brewers guild and the brewers really supporting each other and it really helps you know all that grow and then like once people start to see that they recognize just um how great the beer culture is for the economy as as well you think of the lobster industry being the industry of Maine. And yet when you put dollar figures on it now, seeing that craft brewing is almost, almost pear, that's incredible to think of. I mean, and, you know, per capita, Maine is one of the top, you know, beer states, really. I mean, the state of Maine doesn't have the population that other states do, but in terms of like how seriously, you know, the beer drinking community takes that culture here, it's, it's a really big deal. Uh, and it's still growing. And even just the diversity of our customers, it's that's incredible too to me. We have people from all walks of life, all different backgrounds, all different regions, and beer's the thing that brings them together, you know? And it's kind of amazing just to see you know, I don't think that they'd connect in, in many other different places. Yeah, for us, we like we don't have TVs here, and that's there's the logic behind that because um, we we want people to come in and like you know we'll have some bands come in and play music or we play music in the tasting room, but like we want those conversations to happen. Like we don't even offer like Wi-Fi because we're like put the phone away, <laughs> talk yeah. to your neighbor. Um, yeah. And it, there's a lot of that that is happening here, and I think that that's really cool. It's people that like maybe have lived in the same community that for years who don't know each other, or they're like they don't know the new farm that just started down the road, and there's really cool things happening there, and you see them get excited 
and making making new friends. And even just with the no Wi-Fi, when we tell people we don't have Wi-Fi because we want you to unplug, we want you to relax, we want you to have meaningful conversations, then they, they almost thank you. They're like, yeah, okay, yeah, you know? And then there were um, some people in that, is, that said, you know, I've seen that person for years in the grocery store. I've never talked to them. You know, and so now they're they're like networking and things that in a very like very relaxed way, and we have we have the best customers. We have just wonderful people that come in here. I mean, it just makes it like a joy, really. Even when you're like John said, when you're working hard, and so we're we're like makers. We like to make things with our hands. We like to do things like that. So I think that's part of it too. Is like we're always kind of busy, like. The day that we were making the lilac beer, so it was, you know, I went and I harvested um, two five-gallon buckets full of just the blooms, and then I spent like two hours just making sure there weren't any stems or leaves, and I was like, this is my job. (laughs) This is, I was outside, it was a beautiful day, sunny, you know, with a light breeze. I'm like, this is what I'm doing. This is my job. I love my life. So there was like moments like that too. I mean, it's not just brewing it's Mm -hmm. it's brewing it's building it you know you you live literally three seconds away you can be out there in your your hops or your lilacs and things like that and even in the winter when we were doing when i was collecting the maple sap it was at the bottom of the hill so i would go out with my sled and my snowshoes and my buckets i'd sled down the hill and um then try to get my snowshoes on where the snow at the bottom of the hill was really deep um, I'd get them on and then snowshoe into the woods, collect it. The first day I had this great idea that I was just going to put the buckets be- with a cap on them and, um, and like pull the sled up, but it kept falling over. And so I ended up having to call John and say, can you meet me at the bottom of the hill? I'm going to move the sled to the road. And so he brought it up. But after that, I realized if I just went many times a day and, and had smaller amounts. So it was just like constantly being out in the woods in the snow in a very it was like bright from the sun and quiet at the same time and you know you could hear snow falling again it was just keeps me really in tune with the place that i'm living and we we've had a really good life pretty much forever but we really missed maine when we weren't living here so it really connected us back with this place that we love so much i mean this is really our our landscape you know i mean we grew up here but also you know maine just like it's a really wonderful place you know it's um sometimes Maine can be challenging because like, you know, we have that lower population and, you know, jobs can be different, difficult. You have really long winters. It's, it's a challenge to be here, but it, it's at the same time, it's really, really rewarding. We just really connect with the landscape that's here. And um, we decided specifically, we wanted to be in the mid coast um, region, kind of Sarah grew up in this region and I moved here as a young guy and uh, loved it immediately. So we love being able to, you know, come here or like very easily go down one of the peninsulas and just be on a beautiful waterfront and, or go, you know, somewhere to a small mountain and go hiking or whatever. There's just like a lot of natural beauty. It's like sometimes when you've had that hard week and like, maybe we'll just go down the peninsula to friendship. It's a beautiful little fishing village that's there. Um, and you just go and you stand on the, by the water and make, have a cup of tea or something. And you're like, yeah, this is why we, this is why we do it. Because it's amazing here. Yeah, just driving up Route 1. I mean, it was gorgeous. I mean, we knew that Maine was known for being beautiful, but I don't think we had really 
expected just from the highway alone, um, just to be able to see all the harbors and things like that. You know, in in one year's time, like where would you love to see yourselves being? I mean, exactly this, or do you have kind of a one-year goal for yourselves or anything like that? We're off to a good start. I think we just want to, you know, continue to develop. I mean, we're still people are getting to know that we're even here. We've only been open a couple months, so we're still spreading the word of like, hey, we're here. Come, come play with us. You know, so you know, using things like you know, social media or outreach in the community. We we were involved with some fundraisers um, and stuff like that. We're trying to do. We're doing a fundraiser with a couple other um, local businesses in Waldemar. We're trying to get the Waldo Theater renovated. It's a beautiful. You know, they want to renovate that and do all kinds of, you know, music and theater and like all that type of stuff. Like we're just continuing to kind of do those kind of things to kind of just like let people know that we're a part of the community here. And yes, we're the business, but we want to like make a contribution. And, and I think that that it's not only is it the right thing to do, but I think it's also that it's a good way to spread spread the word that we're here and trying to do good things and that people should come check us out. So, and then we're still expanding, trying to do more wholesale. So if we can just see that all those kind of the retail sale come up and then the wholesale um, come up as well and just make a good, you know, year round, um, we'd be able to like possibly hire more people to and create a few more jobs here in the community as like, I need help in the brewery once we get to a certain level of production and Sarah's going to need help in the farm and we're always going to need help in the tasting room. Um, and plus we always have dreams for yeah, we have, the property. I have a lot of yeah. ideas for the next year. Yeah, <laughs> I, I really get excited about um, like what the land can be here a little bit more. So we right now there's a snowmobile trail that runs through the property and it connects with many properties and it's over 40 miles long so I think it, you know tying into that during the um, making it a little bit more accessible during the off season for people to even use as a hiking trail um, I would like to expand the gardens more it's you know some of the um, the berries they're going to take in the hops they're going to take a while to really come into maturity so just being able to keep continually growing that would be really nice so that it's a little bit fuller even i'd like a day off someday (laughs) (laughs) as much as i love all this i would like to be able to walk away once in a while too and also my personal goal is just um for my own other art practice is just to be able to i'd like to make more sculptures for the gardens um, so when people come, there's that happening and people can meander through the woods and the gardens with the, with artwork. So that's like my goal for the next year is to be able to shift a little bit more at some point and be able to spend some time on that more. It's occurred to me only halfway through, and I can't believe I didn't start with this, is uh, why the name? Why the name Odd Alewise? <laughs> when we found the right piece of property and the right you know, town that kind of worked for us and all those kind of boxes came together and we came to look at the place and, you know, we're like, yeah, this is it. We decided to, whatever we did, we would base our name off of wherever we found our home. So then we just started to research the history of of Waldeboro and there's a lot of, you know, rich history of, you know, bygone days when this used to be a major shipbuilding port or like the whole, um, German settlers that came here. We have this beautiful German meeting house, and even some of Sarah's family actually came from here. Uh, they were some of the original settlers here. So we just started to kind of research, 
the history and the community, and then um, even one of my good friends grew up here. So we've always known the Badamic River, which is um, and a very important river that runs, kind of comes right into town, downtown, and then opens up, and it's this beautiful, huge expanse of water. Um, and it goes quite a ways before it gets to open water. It has to travel all the way down that peninsula. So it's a really huge you know, body of water. It's really important to the uh, community too because uh, basically Waldeboro is the, the clamming capital of Maine. Like the majority, the vast majority of all the, the clam harvesting that happens in this state comes from right here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so we started to research the river. So like it's the Madomic River. So like the... English translation of that, it's a uh, Madomic is Abenaki, but the English translation is either the river or the place of many alewives. Mm-hmm. So we kind of grew up in Maine, and so we know alewives as the fish. It's always been a really important part of the fishing community. There are fish that, you know, lives its life out in the ocean, but then comes up into these freshwater waterways and ponds to, to spawn. And then, you know, when those uh, young fish and they go back out into the ocean and they keep coming back every year. Um, so we always know that alewives are the fish, but which most people don't realize is um, the fish, the English term for that, why they call them alewives, is like they're actually named for all the women that used to do the brewing in the villages. So Yay! as soon as I read that, I was just like, that's it. You know, it was just like the perfect compliment to have something important like that here. And it just had a direct connection to brewing history. And, you know. And history of place and history. Yeah. yeah. And having, as, you know, a woman owner involved in the brewing industry, this was really important to me. But, you know, it also shocked me that I didn't know this about the history of brewing. I didn't know women carved out this space for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years and then when we read more about it and researched it more and the way that alewives were sort of disparaged and linked with witches and um and all all of that it, it was like a wonderful interesting intriguing story shocking that most people don't know that and i think until maybe more recently even beer culture hasn't always it it has had maybe a reputation of being more masculine in in the u.s Uh, and that's changed for sure it also gives us an opportunity to talk about that part of history that part that has been lost that part that's really cool you know and john introduced me to it it's not even something i knew which i would normally know these things um so when we, we found that it was just like that's it so the odd part is both lady brewers and the fish were sort of in decline for a long time, um, but they're growing and they're resilient. And we also just, we love like, you know, oddball things. We just love odd and unusual. Um, and so we thought it was a nice pairing. It was kind of fun, but also kind of a nod to the history of place and, and culture, brewing culture. Once again, that was John and Sarah McNeil, co-owners of Odd Alewives Brewery in Waldeboro, Maine. And in case you're in the area, or planning to be, they currently have eight different beers on tap, including a dried tomato farmhouse ale, which features tomatoes from their gardens, a roasted pumpkin and lavender farmhouse ale, a collaborative beer with Morse's sauerkraut, which is, unsurprisingly enough, a sauerkraut goes, and an herbal black ale with lavender, anise hyssop, and whorehound. 
also from the gardens. In the next couple weeks, they're releasing nasturtium and tangerine gem marigold beer. And with the change in the weather afoot, I think they've already had their first snowfall of the season, they have some winter warming beers close on the horizon. If you're interested in learning more about Odd Ale Wives Brewery, you can find them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Odd Ale Wives. Their website is, of course, oddalewives.com. And you can find out all this information on our website and show notes for this episode at thefeastpodcast.org. A huge thank you to both John and Sarah again for taking the time to chat with us back in June, and, of course, for samplings of their absolutely delightful beer. We should, of course, also mention that their brewery cat, Rocket, is not an infrequent focus of their Instagram feed, and also happens to pop up on the Instagram feeds of both Brewery Cat and Cats Untapped, which focus, if you don't know, of all things on cats in breweries. Because of course they do. And basically the two themes of cats and breweries are the only things that dominate my own Instagram feed. So they're basically preaching to the choir. Now, if you're interested in finding us on social media, The Feast is also on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Feast underscore podcast. The Feast is written and produced by me, Laura Carlson, with editing by Mike Port. Music this week from Howie Mitchell and Charlotte Williams. Find out more about these artists, plus more information on the great beers of Maine, including, of course, Odd Alewives, by visiting our show notes. And of course, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter, which has all the latest news and updates from the show. That's all for us this week. Join us next time as we explore more great stories of the meals that made history. I'm Laura Carlson, and this is The Feast. The Podglomerate, a sonic universe.